Hey everyone, uh, welcome back to uh, another episode of The Followers. This is episode 22 and today we have a, a very interesting guest for you in uh, Stephen Casey, uh, more recently of uh, Blackrock and Blarney County Championship uh, fame uh, as their SNC um, and has in the past worked with uh, a lot of the underage uh, structures in Cork. So we're here today to give him a, a firm grilling on his uh, his thoughts and approaches to, to training or more likely we'll just take notes and learn from him. So uh, yeah, let's, uh, let's jump right in. Uh, Stephen, if you want to give us a little bit of uh, just uh, background on uh, what's gotten you to where you are today. Yeah, yeah thanks Tim. Yeah, um, I basically started off, I suppose, my strength and conditioning career, like most people, uh, became a personal trainer um, and got into a job as a gym instructor in Planet Health in Blackpool. From there then, uh, I was there about a year and I went after that to the Mardyke Arena in UCC. And I suppose from that was the turning point for me in terms of going from a gym instructor to strength and conditioning. I got to work with a lot of teams with UCC, with rugby and soccer and ultimate frisbee and hockey and Olympic lifting and powerlifting and sprinters. And I just got a huge array of athletes. I was very lucky to work with across the six years. Um, from there, I pursued the masters in UL. At that stage, I suppose I'd gotten a lot of qualifications, as everyone does, in terms of online work and things like that, and weekend courses, and uh, did all those things, and then went to UL to do my master's in sports performance, and was up there for a year. Uh, did my master's uh, thesis looking at squat mechanics, and the premise, basically, that if you're working with basketballers or, or um, volleyballers, that's if you were doing a deep squat, would they, are they more likely to get injured? Is there more forces going through, let's say, spine and knee due to their femur and shank lengths? Um, and from there, I started with Blackrock and the Cork Miners. That was my first year with hurling specifically. And then year on year, then it went from the Cork Miners to Cork 21s to Cork 20s. And then finished up with Cork last year. Uh, started with Blarney two years ago. So there was an overlap there where I was involved with the Cork 20s, Blarney and Blackrock. Um, and just this year, then we started with Blarney and Blackrock and was very lucky to have a very good successful season with them, with both clubs. Um, I suppose culminating in uh, two county championships. Um, and then between all of that, I suppose, I've just been always researching things and, and, and going after things in, in that capacity. And I suppose that's led me to where I am now, in the short foot. And what were your own, say when you were younger, what sports were you mainly into yourself? Is that, like, were you into hurling? That's, so that's my how you ended sport, up there, were you into other stuff? Uh, I was always into soccer, and then uh, I was a very average soccer player, and I uh, broke my leg and had a very bad leg break, so I had three surgeries on the leg. Uh, it never really healed properly, so... I did love sports and I loved training. So I suppose everyone's kind of got this story where they say, suddenly oh, I want to keep doing the fitness thing. What am I going to do? And they, maybe they become a gym instructor or personal trainer. And and that's I suppose that's the route I went down. I was always going to the gym anyway. Um, but with the injury, I was kind of out for about two years between the surgeries and I said, right, so I'll, I'll start taking this thing a bit more seriously now and 
that's kind of led me that led me down to the gym instructing personal trainer route and it followed on from there really and from working with different types of athletes say back when you're in the Mardyk and you were seeing them from different sports did you notice any kind of differences partly in physical qualities but more like mentality towards fitness training S&C all like that um, yeah I suppose I mean there there is a level in terms of there's an expectancy across the board depending on what team you're involved with I've always been fascinated by the fact that why does a sprinter choose sprinting why does a distance runner choose distance running why does a hurler choose hurling and uh, I think a lot of the times personalities seem to match up with that that kind of the individual kind of sports seem to be very intense individuals you know um and that was always my safety net anyway. That's why I always told people I love doing team sports. You know, if I'm playing soccer, I can blame 10 other people if I'm losing the game. Um, whereas if I'm playing golf or I'm being a sprinter and I, I lose, there's only one person to blame really. So there's a lot of intensity comes with that. So there's a bit of pressure. So you would have seen different attitudes then coming into the gym. Um, in terms of the conditioning side of things, yeah, you'd see that too. You know, you'd see lads who, I suppose in a lot of cases, you talk to people and, the first go-to is I'm not fit enough. And, and the question then has to be, well, how fit do you need to be? Do you know, what is your position? What is your sport? What is your, what is fitness? That's, that's the ultimate question, isn't it? People ask, I need to be fitter. And say, well, define fitness for me. What, what, what constitutes you being fitter? And, and often cases people say, I need to run more or I need to run faster. I need to be bigger. I need to be stronger. And um, that's what I found in team sports is that, lads have an idea but they don't really know and then in individual sports they're very specific with what they need they, they kind of know what they need because maybe their coach would have given them feedback because that's the other beauty with singular sports you have a coach looking at one individual so uh team sports a bit harder to monitor everyone um so yeah i would have definitely seen differences across the board there the individual athletes are probably a bit more introspective about it all as well yeah yeah they are and of course there's pressure then because an individual athlete wants to see results faster you know uh they, they have everything monitored and, and things like that and they want to see improvements pretty quick um but it's enjoyable it's it's enjoyable obviously i suppose we're all in it because you want to see somebody getting better um and that is that is the whole point of being a strength and conditioning coach is that you're improving an individual in a, be it in a team sport or in an individual sport. Yeah, just to touch on your masters, then Noel, I, I did my undergrad in Noel, like, and we would have heard a lot about the sports performance masters. A few of us would look to do it. Only we end up getting teaching jobs, and I'm sold yeah. out. <laughs> sold out on S and C. When taking the government's money, um, but it, it was always very well spoken of, and still is. Even though more masters programs have come on board, the UL one is often still looked at as kind one of the, yes. the the peak ones really but what are some of the things you learned on that not just because even just before we came on air we were chatting about people you're still in contact with and we'd have heard of quite a few of them from working in professional sport but module wise but even away from specific to college and academic learning what did you pick up as well well the biggest thing i picked up on was having what everyone is known as is the evidence-based theory behind your training method so i'd have kind of been a bit green to that when i started um like we were talking off air I, i've no undergraduate so doing stuff like assignments and um the thesis itself would have been a, a lot of work for me because i never was exposed to that this idea that you can't just rock up to a team and do whatever you want that that would have been my thought process in the in the past and just say i'll oh, just 
take this program and run that with them and they're getting fitter look it's great whereas i just became more accountable what i was doing with athletes and saying look there has to be a thought process why are we doing this many sets why are we doing this many reps why are we doing this percentage why are we um why are we taking a rest on this day how do we recover better how do we um become better at this idea that you couldn't just run the legs off people um i knew that going in anyway but the idea that you can't just read a book and implement that because the book could be read by somebody who has no idea whatsoever about evidence-based training so you're just saying oh yeah look when you're looking at research and looking up the stats and, and all those kind of things that that definitely woke me up to that and i suppose that's the, the, the caliber of the course um as we talked about the amount of people that when i did the masters and i'm sure you've heard of loads of the people who've done the masters who are still in the industry um i think that speaks a lot about the the masters itself because we covered so many different modules we, we covered a lot and it was never simply focusing on team sports we looked at endurance athletes we looked at it small bit on nutrition we looked at performance analysis we looked at physiology um and like when my thesis i had to look at squat mechanics so i had to look up kinematics and all the rest of it you know um so you you were kind of left going right there's a lot to learn here but uh because the course was so well done and still is well done um i think that just stands to it then that so many people are still in the industry and still working what drew you to that topic for your thesis was it like something you'd noticed or was it just kind of ah, this is something i feel like i could do well i used to olympic lifting and um i i I had a brainwave that i was going to change the world there with um ankle mobility i said sure the whole reason lads i can't squat to death is ankle mobility and that's that's obviously the reason for that so i need to go prove that and you were given a broad range of topics that you were allowed to pick you couldn't really say one thing you were given pre-programmed kind of topics and that was the the one that i could see that i could change the most that so i said oh squat mechanics that's kind of ankle i'll just ask my supervisor was giles warrington or dr giles warrington and i'd asked him can i uh, put in ankle mobility and he said you're gonna have a lot of data here steve um because we looked at 3d motion analysis and all the rest of this and i said yeah that's fine and i used this but i didn't use it in the thesis because uh, i remember going to one of my other supervisors who was dr ian kenny and being distraught because I proved nothing. Squat mechanics, shank length, um, femur length. There was no this. There wasn't one determinant of squat depth. Um, there was so many other variables. So what I proved was that shank length didn't really matter. Femur length didn't really matter because there was so much more going on. Um, so I would have looked at ankle mobility of let's say somebody who was six five, and said, okay, he's not going to be able to squat to depth. His ankle mobility may not, may not be very good. And then when I looked at his squat and the 3D analysis, he didn't, even if he had good ankle mobility, he didn't actually use it in his squat. He didn't need it. So I would have always been a stickler, especially with my Olympic lifters, that you work on your ankle mobility and um, you'll get that squat depth. Now, some of them did it, did get that squat depth, but there was more going on. It couldn't have been, you can't just zero in on one joint and say, yeah, it's, it's ankle mobility that's determining that. So I would have been a bit gutted after it but that's what i went after it i thought i was going to change the world i was going to get phone calls from the nba and everything but hasn't happened yet unfortunately <laughs> i think they just have a digit wrong on your number they're, they're maybe yeah and covid is obviously <laughs> throwing it out of it as well you know they can't go over there yeah maybe at that point then what are your thoughts on on propping up people's ankles when doing squat work with you know if they have a deficiency or border i don't know is deficiency the right word it probably isn't yeah 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 
on propping I'd, up I'd, I'd on. I, I would I would be prone to doing that quite a bit now with a lot of people I work with particularly team sport athletes yeah and I, I'd definitely be along that side as well John I'd say I, I always do it with lads especially my team sport athletes and especially if we're in like a GPP phase or we're doing a hypertrophy block and I want full, full flexion extension in the knee and the hip um, more often than not like my lads will be squatting with elevated heels um, because I want that depth but I think the fact that somebody would say I'm giving them ankle mobility by propping up their heels, I'm not so sure how well that washes. I, I think we are getting squat depth because we're doing that, but I don't think you can specifically say that it's the ankle mobility. That There's other things going on that you're not just creating that ankle mobility. Um, there's other things going on as well, but I am all for that. And I suppose that comes back to, sorry, to veer off the point would be a lot of people would say, no, we're going to learn mechanics. Like we're going to learn squat mechanics for the next four to six weeks because you can't get depth. Whereas I'd be more of the thing, well, we can't get depth if we elevate the heels. If we do four to six weeks of squat mechanics with no loading, they're not getting stronger. They're not getting better at the lift because we know when we load a fella, he's going to have a different squat pattern than when he's unloaded. So I would say, okay, well, look, let's just do elevated heels um, and, we, and we load that way then. So we can promote that, again, knee flexion, hip, hip flexion, hip hip um an ankle and, and all the rest and we're getting full flexion so it's it's again that question i suppose where people say oh we have to learn mechanics whereas i'd be saying there's a time to learn mechanics and you can put that in but not to the detriment of the whole point of the process anyway some people they may not have been told to squat for two months like they may go to somebody and say okay we're not we're not going to learn we're not going to load you until you can squat perfectly. So, well, they're not going to get stronger. If you're going to inhibit them for six weeks, they're not getting stronger. So season's going to come around, whether they have good squat mechanics or not. So it'd be more of the fact that, you know what, let's elevate heels. We can work on squat mechanics, part of our warm-up. We're going to, we're going to get that um, flexibility anyway, because we know we get more flexible as we obviously train through a full range of motion. So, and, and we can still load them. So they're stronger, at least when they go back after the six weeks rather than the other the other side of things where people are just afraid to load athletes and i think that's a good good idea either to a point like the majority of gym work we do is a means to an end it's there to support what it is you play on the field and yes yeah. like squatting is a good way to develop leg and hip strength and just all around like you know max strength in general and if adding um, an elevation to someone's heel helps support that then great Plus, I know yes. Quinn Hennock would have spoken a good bit as well about just elevating the heel. It creates that counterbalance for you to not necessarily learn mechanics, but support or facilitate better mechanics that hopefully would then develop from that. Yeah, and, and you'd see like um, you see uh, a couple of lads like uh, Joel Smith talking about this this idea that if we go into a squat, and, and a lot of times when you're when you're told to squat, you're told push through like the heel of the foot and and that's not really a natural process for the body. Like, so I, I kind of an ideal situation, you'd have more forward saying like to push through the ball, because if, if you get a fella who's squatting with full intent, which is what you want, you want to hear that kind of click off the weights at the top. Um, they're going to come up off the ball, the foot, you know, they're just going to do that because the knee and the hip are going to act together and they come up off the ball, the foot. And the first question then is, Oh, my, my heels came up. And that's naturally going to happen. So I'm going to, let, I'm not too bothered about that. Whereas when you say to somebody, I want you to squat and I want you to push off the heels, that's not really great for, for, for biomechanics. Like it's not what the body wants to do. It wants to use full extension, like full triple extension so that it is going on the ball of the foot. So I kind of 
push lads to be more pushing off the ball, the foot or the midfoot rather than the heel. Um, yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd be the exact same at pushing through the midfoot. Mm-hmm. Just think, we're going to have to change the name of this podcast soon because the last few guests we've had, it's just been pure and utter confirmation bias. <laughs> we're going to have to get someone on Zoom that we disagree with over everything. Just to, like, challenge us on something. <laughs> you have to get on somebody controversial then, John. Yeah. And there's plenty of those lads. Well. <laughs> Taking it back then to, to your times, you are saying one of the first teams you work with were the Cork Miners. So... Was that it's where an awful lot of people start is working with minor teams or youth teams and stuff. Yeah. Did you approach that kind of from a, a straight up SNC coach and you learned what was best with adults and implemented that with youths, or did you have quite a, a reasonably well developed mindset towards developing youths at the time, or was it something you kind of learned along the way? Well, I, I was lucky because when I was in the Mardic, I was with um, the Rebel Oak program, so I was I was in the Mardic for six years, and I, the the Rebel Oak program was in there for about three, so they're under 13s, 14s and 15s would have been training midterm with us anyway. So that was the beauty of me going into minor is a lot of lads knew me and I did, knew them already. So it was a good, it worked well for everyone. Um, I, I When I started with the lads, we would have looked at, we, we trained in the gym of CIT and we would have looked at that stuff where, I mean, I'd always say to people, if you could take back your time, you'd obviously do something different. Otherwise we haven't learned anything, you know? So, when we started off, we would have done probably hex bar deadlifts, bench, things like that. Not a million miles away from what I would have do, would have done anyway, but maybe the programming element would have been different. Um, these lads in particular, especially when they were in Rebel Oak, the fellow who was very good at football tended to be very good at hurling, tended to be very good at soccer, tended to be very good at multiple sports. And that kind of got forgotten about, I thought, in a lot of ways because they were they were kind of said like I remember I was working with Munster as part of my um as part of my uh the masters and one of the young fellas there said to me he said uh he said oh, oh I'm doing a periodization plan now you know with my club I said okay what phase are you at and he's about sixteen like he said oh, I'm I'm doing a power plan I said well you're doing a volume plan here you're doing a power plan with them so how does that work you know and I I think when I said with the Cork Miners, I was like, okay, the beauty about this is that the lads have already established that this is my sport. You know, I don't think we, what had happened was the footballers at the time had decided not to have dual players. So lads had to make a decision that wasn't on our end. That was just a decision made on the other end. Um, so when I had them in, they were, they were exclusively for me. So we could kind of work on those things. We looked at, we looked at just the stuff in the gym. We looked at um, squat mechanics, uh, hip hinging, bench press, the stuff that everyone does really. And then when it came out onto the pitch, again, if I could take back my time, I think I probably emphasized too much on the conditioning element and not, a mo- not enough on, on the other things like playing the game and things like that. Um, so I would have looked at, they would have come back obviously with fitness tests. We, we would have ran the, the Bronco at the time and we just looked at improving those tests. But the following year with the, the 21s, things would have been a lot different based on what I learned with the lads. Um, we, we would have had the lads doing the Bronco test, our superstars who remain nameless, didn't do very well in Bronco. Um, but then we had GPS units on them for a challenge game against Dublin and these lads would run through walls for you. And it's just that maybe the, the incentive for a fitness test isn't the same as them playing their sport. So I kind of started to look at things a lot differently after that. Um, do you think it was mainly incentive or like... 
because maybe sometimes they're better players because they're just doing an awful lot more can often be fatigued going into fitness tests can that be a part of it as well or like obviously you'd have, you'd know more about the context at the time no but I, I think when I'd always say to people anyway it's very hard to do a fitness test or a strength test or whatever test you're going to do and then say right for the next four to six weeks that's going to determine my program um, we all know that there's so many variables and that's the problem the human body is a variable it's not a fixed thing so I'm not going to I'm not going to be able to tell you why your 80% one RM is going to be in four weeks. That's not really the way it works. So I would have been the same with the fitness test. At the time, I would have said, okay, the fitness test, they got this in the fitness test. So that prescribed my hit session now for, for the next six weeks. I wouldn't do that again. I, I kind of look at it a bit differently. But um, when we when we did do the GPS stuff up in Dublin that time, I was there going, jeepers, these lads are covering huge amounts of uh, mileage and they're not doing that in the fitness test. So the other element is, of course, if you put all your eggs into that one day, so let's say it's a Wednesday, you say, okay, on a Wednesday of this particular month of this particular year, that was your fitness, but that's not necessarily where your fitness is going to be in six weeks. So maybe because when we did the fitness test and then we looked at the match, they were just fitter. You could argue that they were just fitter. So they got, they did better um they covered more distance but i do think lads just do not like fitness tests if i told you the fitness test tomorrow this stress response from the body and all the rest of it some lads just don't do well in fitness tests they just don't enjoy them they don't like them um so it's hard then to come up with a fitness test and say that this is going to be the be all and end all lads this is going to decide the program for the next six weeks i don't do that anymore but um at the time i thought it was the right thing to do and you said if you're back again, you wouldn't concentrate so much on the condition. Do you mean in general conditioning, you'd focus more on the kind of the strength work, the movement work, or are you trying condition through games a bit more? Condition through games, definitely. I think um, that was the beauty of, I, I suppose we talked about it um, before we started. Like I, I use live heart rate monitoring with BlackRock. So we'd have 36 heart rate monitors that feedback data live straight away to the iPad. Um, and depending on where the player is on the pitch, what position he's taking up, the distance, the, the, the square area he's in, the rules of the game, the motivation, all the things that are going to determine the intensity, um, I'd alter that based on the feedback. So like with, I suppose I, I, I like the idea of subjective versus objective. Objective is kind of me telling you fill in RP sessions and things like that. And um subjective would be okay looking at heart rate monitoring heart rate variability um we used cmjs as well to determine whether lads were going to sprint that day with blackrock um and it was all about me kind of trying to facilitate the lads out of me saying look whatever happens this program's getting done lads um because again it comes down to honesty the player wants to get better and you can't be saying to a player uh what do you mean you didn't sleep last night well that doesn't matter we're, we're covering this distance today and you're doing this drill today I think the players, once they kind of see a bit of maybe performance enhancement, that they see that I'm, I'm actually getting better here, even though I'm not really doing as much running as I used to do, then they buy into it a bit more and they're a bit more honest with you and they'll come up and say, look, I didn't make my jumps, Steve. And I say, that's, you know the story, we're not sprinting today. And you say, okay. Um, and that's just that's the way it was then for me. Like I didn't, I didn't allow a lot of a lad's control, whereas... Back in the minors, they were filling out stuff every night. They were filling out um, how they felt and all the stuff we normally fill out, muscle soreness and things like that. Um, but I, I wouldn't do that anymore. 
whether that's a good or a bad thing, I'm not sure. That would be open to interpretation, I guess. Just two points I want to build on there. The first one, you said that when you say to players, listen, your jump is down, you're not going to be sprinting tonight. Does that take a bit of time to build up to show to players, first of all, that doing the sprints provides massive benefit and then the buy-in from them is that, oh, I really want to do my sprints because I know that makes me better. So it's kind yes. of like, it's almost like in, in school, say you try and make P as enjoyable as possible so that the yes. worst punishment of all is you're not allowed to do it as opposed to whatever that way. Does yeah. that take a bit of time to, to get buy-in from? Yeah, like, I mean, I would always say to lads, players or kids, like, you know, they're adults that are actually kids. You know, they, they love playing the game. They still love chasing. They still love racing. They obviously still love the game of hurling. So I tried to implement a fun element as much as possible. So sprints weren't actually sprints. They were races. So we would have raced over 40 metres. So we'd have six lads line up. Uh, I'd go the whistle and it'd be a race between six lads. And as I said, they're kids. They really buy into it. If if you tell a fella, I need you to hit top speed and we're going to hit this cone, you're going to be at 80%. And once we get past it, you're going to be at 100%. Whether the player is at 80% or 100%, I'm not sure. He can go hiding. He can decide, I'm not going to do this. I'm not really feeling that today. Whereas if it's a race and everyone's watching six lads racing at one go, we are hitting top speed. Like We are getting that response. Like I'd always say to people, for for uh, top speed we we race and for acceleration work we chase so it's always a fun element to it whether you have adults in front of you or not um and i think when lads thought oh i, I can't race they, they kind of as well obviously if you have somebody who decides i'm not uh, maybe he, he'll tell you that he made his jumps or whatever check the daddy hasn't made his jumps and you say oh and see what happens here and he, he might say oh, hamstring doesn't feel too good and you're there going Maybe if you're eight weeks out, you say, right, well, this is my chance to maybe say, look, lads, this isn't by accident that this particular injury has occurred. I, I've been saying it to yeah, that, that this, you have to come in ready to train. And if you're not ready to train, we're not going to do certain things. So if you decide oh, I'm going to train anyway, and then come back to me and say a bit of a niggle there in the hamstring or the groin or whatever, you say, well, I told you not to run or I told you not to do this. And it's not about me being right. Because obviously if they get injured, and it makes more, you know, it means a lot more that the further you go in championship, if you get to quarterfinals and semifinals, they know that like jeepers, if, if I do something silly here, I'm out, I'm out of the big game. Like, and, and they'll, they'll obviously buy into that straight away then and say, okay, well, I have to look after myself a bit better. Yeah, I, I love that, that there now on, um, to get faster, we race to improve on acceleration, we chase. I'm like, because it's something I've new with the minors lately as well, is setting up the races and just their speed has come on so much from having that extra incentive. And and of even course, like they, yeah. they line up in threes and fours, but I even stagger the starts. The one that starts two yards ahead or one that starts two yards behind. And and just just the extra effort they're putting in is. And huge. this is it. And, and I think no, no player needs to know that. Top end speed obviously improves rate of force development. Um, bulletproofs the hamstrings a bit better and all the rest of that. Players don't need to know that. If you tell them there's a cone there and we're going to have a race with five other fellas, that's all they need to know. And as you said, John, it's intent. Like Because if you don't have intent, it's not a top speed. It's not top speed anymore. And it'd be great if we all had GPS units and we'd look at the live then and say, oh, he's not at top speed. He's bluffing us. But I think like even when we did recovery sessions with Black Rock and Blarney, uh, we played a game, um, I kind of coined it, kind of like a, a hurling volleyball, basically, where we had like 10 lads on one side of the net and 10 lads on the other in the Astro. 
and I'd say, right, eight lads have to touch the ball and then send it over the net, and then eight lads and this before you send it over, and you scored it like volleyball. Like, and as I said, they're just kids, you know, they just they love that. And I'm still getting them to move, but the other option, of course, would have been to, and options I would have done in the past was we would have gone on to spin bikes for 25 minutes and kept the heart rate between 130 and 150 and, and done all that recovery stuff. But there's other ways of doing things like, and if you can bring in as much fun as you can, then I'd sooner do it that way, you know, because it's great for culture and a group as well. You know, it's not all about numbers and things at the end. It is in my own head, but the lads don't need to know about that, you know. I'd be very same when you when you bring the rugby ball or the Olympic handball, it's hurling training. Yeah. They're all like, oh, what's going on here? And so they're like, there's <laughs> yeah. their life and everyone again. Exactly, Sorry, Damien, yeah. I cut across you there a second ago. No, I was just going to um, to uh, kind of mention something there that we've brought up in previous podcasts is the relationship building with uh, with your players and that it's it's one thing you're on your end and you're watching the data, you're you're tracking how how things are going and you know, but to get and even with the fun you know aspects of training, but to get the buy in from the players that. They need to, you know, uh, you need to build up that trust and that relationship that they kind of trust that everything you're doing is going to bring out the the best version of them. And you're so have you? Uh, I suppose is there much that you do, you know, with trying to build up that relationship with players or with teams when when you go in, or do you kind of just leave it gradually, kind of naturally build? Or is there any kind of things that you do because? there's so much riding on that. Um, like it, as I said, it's all well and good to have all the, the, the knowledge and know-how of how to get someone to their best, but getting that buy-in and trust is, is huge. It's hard. And it's, it's especially hard if you start off with a team, you don't really know the team dynamic. You don't know who the jokers are, who the leaders are and, and who the lads who are very serious about their sport. And, um, I suppose I'd always put my personality on every team anyway, you know, I, I've, um, I have conversations, I try to have conversations with every single player on the pitch, you know, if it's a training session. Uh, I like the idea of me literally rocking up to a training session and maybe looking at the body language of the players and say, you know what, lads, today was meant to be a tough session, but I don't really see it in you. And maybe putting in something else and then the player is going, well, that's a bit different because normally you just get run into the ground regardless. Um, it, it comes down to education, I guess, as well, you know, that that you're not there to, as I said before, the program doesn't go ahead in spite of the player, you know. The, the program goes ahead because of the player. And if the player doesn't want to be there in any way, shape or form, and I would have talked to, to underage coaches who, who want to do all the, the, the fundamental movement stuff, which is great, but you don't want to take up the whole session. You don't want a very serious session lasting 40 minutes and then at the end they play the game for 20 you know that's not what they showed up for they showed up to play the game and um, I'd all say to people and again what we talked about before we started was you, as much as you have to justify what you've put in you obviously have to justify what you've taken out as well if you've put in half an hour of speed mechanics and the session's only 60 minutes long and you've got under 15s or 14 just saying well we've taken out half an hour of hurling now is it, is it worth that is, is it mm. is it is there that much like I mean it's the same in, in, at every age group like the lads want to play the game that's why they showed up um when you get to the county scene and into county and all that you, you obviously have a maybe a more serious individual and and maybe you can go into more detail like about that but if you're in a club setting it's all about retaining first of all that you want lads to really bounce out of the cars and run onto the training pitch um but you wanted them to know as well that you're there for them and that you're you do have their best interests at heart, you know, and you're not, 
you're not uh, running a dictatorship that things happen whatever happens the program's still going ahead so i suppose to answer the question yeah i just i get to know the lads some lads are quiet anyway you might not know that when you show up maybe the team itself is very quiet so you have to create a game that gets them talking um and there's ways and means of doing that too you can just create some game that has to be talked about you can blindfold them and say right you start throwing the balls there lads you're gonna to have to communicate with each other you know um and again I, I love that idea where you have again I've, I've talked about him before um a colleague of mine like uh, one of my best friends would be Alan Dunton like and he's just done his PhD like and it's all about skill acquisition and you can talk about you can talk to an individual and say I want you to hit the hurley this way and hold the hurley that way but if you create a constraint and say look actually I'll, I'll create the constraints you have to you have to do these movements that I'm asking you to do rather than you overthinking it um, and again, I suppose it, talks, it touches about Nick Winkle and stuff as well with um, external and internal queuing. Just create the scenario and see what they do. Don't don't be having everyone standing around the cone for ten minutes while you talk about stuff that may or may not happen in the, in the drill. You know. Yeah, I've learned that a lot with the helping out with the under sixes lately. Trying to explain to them why the right hand should be on top is largely <laughs> useless. It's having these either little tiny hurdles, small scoops, or the ones that make up a milk card. So they just grab it with their dominant hand and scoop with yeah, that. Yeah, so yeah. they become in the habit of it through a load yeah. of fun games as opposed to saying, no, you need your right hand on top now because if your hands start to cross over each other and you're 24, they're like, they're gone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, just last thing right. I want to touch on there, back to when you were with the minors, you mentioned like the players came in and filled in the various monitoring questionnaires. Was that something you brought yourself? Was it something Cork GA wanted to try and use over time? Or Because I know like majority of Leinster counties here will be asked to do that. It all goes into Smart Bay so that like they have a few years of that now for various minor teams. Yeah, yeah. Is it a Munster Council thing or is it independent of Cork? Or, or no, that was that was independent of myself. Um, so I, I would have looked, obviously, the, the stuff we all do, the wellness questionnaires and things like that. But I, I wouldn't have been fully confident that the answers they were giving. It's the same when, when somebody goes into the gym and, like, we use VBT when we can with the two clubs. And then before that, we'd use RIR, like, so, like, we use reps and reserves. So if you're a beginner going in and I'm telling, let's say, a minor that he has to do uh, let's say a hex bar deadlift for five reps with two reps in reserve does he even know what what two reps in reserve is like when i ask a player how does he feel out of 10 is he of the age that he actually knows that what that is like and that's why i would have taken away some of that from the players like by doing the parry monitoring or by doing the the, the counter movement jumps before we started um because i don't i'm not confident that the answer is the right answer anyway um and I think it, you're only going to get good at it, obviously, the more often you do it. And, and like, obviously, when you talk to senior lads, they know what an 8 out of 10 is and they know what a 9 out of 10 is. But at an underage level, I'm not sure that that you'll get an honest answer. And I did it with the 21s the following year with Cork. And I'd be I'd be looking for the sheets, like, maybe the night before training. And you'd be sending them out. And it just got to the stage where lads were there going, I'll just fill this out really quickly and just send it on. And you definitely weren't getting an honest result then, you know. So... As they're going, uh, it's up to me to either stand over them and drill into them the importance of this, or else I could say, you know, there must be another way around this because um, how valuable is are the answers that I'm getting back anyway? I'm not sure. <clears throat> yeah, especially if they're forced. To, yeah, if you're if guys are forgetting it and there's, so I've seen it. I do see it. You know, these constant reminders. Come on, guys, we need to know. We you know we need this and lads just kind of go oh, right Jesus here uh, I'll, I'll fill it there and you know they're off doing something else and their mind is somewhere else it's uh yeah it's 
they sorry they they, they yeah. learn to hate it like they don't like it, they don't enjoy it they don't see the value in it because all it is is a tool that they keep getting beaten with because they haven't filled it in um so yeah i i i can see the value at a certain age group but i think at underage they don't know what five out of ten six out of ten or eight out of ten is you know one of the main things we kind of want to get you on to discuss Stephen was looking kind of at your big rocks when you know because you've worked with a few teams now like when you go into a team and like we've often discussed that sometimes the battles you might have with management over how much time do I get with these when it increases when it decreases but like oftentimes it's nice and see you're kind of given 20 minutes twice a week to get your work done what like do you find yourself yes this is what I'll definitely include there this is what I'll get benefits from and then if I was to get a bit more time yeah it's adding this in yeah, um, well, obviously, I, I do top speed work with them because um, most of the time when you go in with teams, as we all know, I'm sure, that oh, we do speed work all the time. And then when you actually break it down, they're not doing speed work. Um, what they're doing is speed endurance work. And so saying, okay, we, we, that needs to be changed. So from a, a bulletproof standpoint and things like that, we definitely do the speed work and we do the races. Um, I, I it, It's... It's different for every team. I mean, if I was sitting down, I talked to people about what, what would the difference be between, let's say, Cork and, and a club team. When you're when you're with Cork, like you are, you have the best midfielder, you have the best defender, you have the best goalie, you have the best wherever. You, all these positions, are, they're the best at. So that's why they're here. You know, they're the best in the county. Them. When you're with a club team, you don't have that. You don't have that. You you might have a player who strives to play into county, and you have another fellow who just loves hanging around with his buddies. He's saying, okay, well. Do we need to spend way more time playing the game? Do I need to do these 20 minutes? Do I, can we, like when people talk about squat mechanics with young kids, I'd say, well, I, I'll introduce that as part of the warm up. I don't want that isolated so that lads are standing around for 10 minutes. It's going, we'll put in squat mechanics part of the warm up. We'll put in running drills part of the warm up. At least they're doing it often. Um, if I was to do things, it depends on the, the underage section. Like, I mean, I started with the Black Rock Miners a couple of weeks back and we're doing one by 20 now. So, that's probably not something I'd have done in the past. So I really like it. It's hard to get buy-in from the players, but while the gyms were locked down, they didn't have a choice anyway. So we did one by 20. Um, could I sell that to a senior team? It'd be hard. If I was to do volume training with them and I suggested one by 20, I, I think that'd be a hard sell, but I just like the premise behind it. I like the idea that you can get 20 odd exercises done in one session. You only do one set. Um, and obviously the benefits in terms of capillary density and, and mitochondrial density and obviously getting exposed to not a high, not as high in intensity as it would be if you were doing let's say three by ten on it on a back squat now if if again if you talk to players they'll probably tell you what they want anyway Do you know they they might say they need to be fitter i'd look at resting heart rate straight away and say okay well look at resting heart rates and for the next four weeks we might determine what fitness level needs to be do you, sorry to interrupt do you have any ranges on resting heart rate that you're generally looking for i'd love to have lads in around the high 40s um you know just every time you do a test the next question is what should i be getting and you're there going well where are you now and how how much can we improve you so obviously if you have a resting heart rate of 70 the, the room for improvement is huge somebody comes up with a resting heart rate of Lance Armstrong had his resting heart rate somewhere along the low 30s with his vitamins and minerals. But, um, like, like, yeah, so, like, I mean, I've, I'd, I'd like team sport athletes to be around the high 40s, low 50s, um, um, just because 
again, people put too much value on the high intensity work. Make everything high intensity, that'll change things. And the low intensity work kind of gets forgotten about. But the low intensity work, if it's done properly, will determine how well you recover from high intensity work and how well you can do the high intensity work. So like if I got a phone call from a team and they said, can we get you in for six weeks? I'd probably refuse it, you know, um, because what would happen is you're forced to do high intensity because they want to see these numbers. They want to do a beep test beforehand. I'm not a big fan of the beep test. Uh, and they want to see the results at the end. And then here's your money off you. Mm, best bang for their buck. Yeah. It's like, oh, he came in and flogged them and sure, look, here we are. It's, it's, it's a strange situation. Like, and that's, I'd just be saying, we just be getting the bigger rocks. In the preseason, I talked to an individual recently, got onto me on Instagram, and he said that um, the coach had said they should do a load of high intensity work in the off season. I was there. Why? Like, I mean, high intensity is, is exactly what you're going to be doing. I've never talked to a, a team that didn't train hard. They all train hard. Um, so the other stuff gets forgotten about. Um, so, you know, you look at tempos, you look at cardio, you look at, um, I look at resting heart rates. If I started off with the team straight away, probably wouldn't do a fitness test for about six to eight weeks. And then maybe look at changing that after that. Shane there has a resting heart rate of about 25. Is he? <laughs> oh, yeah. The heart the size of an elephant. A bit of an anatomical anomaly, shall we say. Do very little to no movement with scandalously high VO2 max scores and stuff. I'm, I'm probably not questioning as best I can. Or else I'm having like, you know, the chicken fillets that are loaded with steroids and you just don't know about it. <laughs> when we were doing our masters, we were over in the physiology lab in Chester, and Shane volunteered. What were you about a month out from like world bodybuilding at that stage? Yeah, said, oh, yeah, I, 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 like you know, <laughs> massively restricted calories that only been lifting weights for ages. Hopped up and got like eighty in the VO two max. <laughs> And, and played a goal as a young fella as well so it's not as if he had this massive base of cross-country running there or anything like, I wanted to touch on something kind of brief you almost said it was like a throwaway comment but did you say when you first got into SNC you were doing work with an ultimate frisbee team or you were actually playing it yourself what was it like doing SNC yeah uh, I, I said it and I was on Billy O'Regan's podcast and I said it as well like um I had to work with obviously a lot of ultimate frisbee was in UCC uh, it's an ever-growing sport and I would have always said that those athletes were more serious than any other athletes I had to deal with about their sport. Um, it was a completely, I hadn't even heard of it. I, I got approached by one of the lads. I was doing a program for him out on the floor or whatever. And then he said, oh, Steve, uh, I play ultimate Frisbee. I'm there. What is that? And um, he introduced me to it. And I went out to the matches and I watched the matches. I said, what are the rules in this? Um, but just, it, I suppose shoulder health was a big thing with ultimate Frisbee. Um it's very stop start, of course, uh, but it's taken very seriously. I, I found like every time we had to run um, squad sessions, there was a there's a waiting list. Like there wasn't enough space for the amount of um, athletes that wanted to come in, and you didn't have that with every team. Yeah. Um, but I just found it really enjoyable to work with a team like that. It was completely out of my comfort zone. Because it's a really like it's obviously a really niche sport, and nobody like when you think of the most athletic teams in a certain college or anything like that, you'd never think of that. But I've used it a few times. It's it's a near perfect conditioning game because it kind of has everything. Like it's it's essentially boils down to jumping, running, catching, and throwing. Yeah. Like everything you try to encapsulate. It's just such a like. It's so weird that it's the, obviously it's like it. Everyone buys into it so much, but it's it's not something you'd see as an athletic endeavor per se, just because you don't know so much about it. But it's like I've used it almost as warm up or like off season, kind of games to kind of build culture and stuff. But it's 
it's just a phenomenal conditioning tool, I found. Yeah, there was rumor that I'd been told that Declan Kidney had said he'd have used it a bit more in Munster if he'd found out about it earlier. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's it's a fascinating sport to watch, but there's no ref. So I suppose people then say, oh, there's no ref, there must be no controversy, it must be all straightforward. Yeah. Um, we've <laughs> talked about it being in the Olympics and all the rest of it, but I'm not sure how, how far they got with that. I could definitely see it getting to the Olympics. I think, like, as sports are growing and some of the stuff that has come in, I could definitely see uh, Ultimate Frisbee getting in. Um, I, th- I think the, the, the self-refereeing is really interesting that, like, the I suppose that the level of morality you have to have about yourself as a player to call that foul when you've taken a step, you're like, oh, yeah, that was me. I really like, yeah, yeah. do that. Yeah. You'll be worried as the stakes get higher, you'll get more lads going in cheating, like saying... Um, 100%. Yeah. yeah, that would be the problem, I suppose. You're you see Johnny Knoxville entering in the US team. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, back to some of your big rocks there. Like, and that's kind of on on field doing your top speed work. If, if you're doing gym work, what's kind of say you've a limited gym session you're only getting once a week, or some of the main things you're going to try and focus on in there? Um, uh, plyos, uh, isos mainly. Uh, well, not mainly, but I think again they're not focused on enough. I think if you go if you go into the gym and you have lads who are doing a lot of squats, lunges, deadlifts, whatever they're doing, a lot of hip and knee and neglecting ankle. So um, I took, put a lot of emphasis in my programs with um, the calf. And so we'd use ISOs and plyos as part of a warm-up. Wouldn't necessarily concentrate hugely on dynamic movements. Um, they'd be in there, but they, they wouldn't be, they're not the have to do this, lads, you have to do that. Same with the foam rolling and, and stuff like that. It can, you don't have to do that, lads. That's not mandatory. I, I'd recommend if you feel a bit stiff that day or tight or whatever. Um, but definitely plyometrics. We start with ISOs, then we do plyos. Uh, and then obviously, look, we're looking at, depending on the age group, we're looking at squat mechanics, um, push, pull, um, uh, hip hinge. But again, I, I'd look at, like we do it with the, the miners now, the more Blackrock miners, a lot of um, extensive plyos with ankle hops and bunny hops and things like that. I've always said to people, the first thing you have to overcome on the pitch, the track or the court is your own body weight. If you can't handle that, you're going to be in a bit of trouble. Um, but most of the time, even when I was working with sprinters, you'd find really strong knees and hips and very weak ankles. So they had all this force that their knees and hips could produce. Their ankles just acted like sponges as they were running along. They couldn't, couldn't. They never did like a lot of the, like they do a lot of knee and hip plyometric kind of stuff, explosive stuff, but not a lot of ankle. Simple skipping, mad for skipping. If they could skip. Um, probably be something I'd love to teach a young team, like bring in loads of jump ropes and say, right, lads, we're going to lesson. We're going to start to learn to skip. Um, just that awareness, even of pushing off the ball of the foot would be very valuable, I think. What kind of isos are you doing? Uh, at the moment, we're kind of doing floating heels. So again, looking at uh, stuff from Tommy John and Jake Tora and Alex Natera. Um, so we're looking at... If they're in a split lunge position with hip in line with the knee, with the ball, the foot on a 25 kg plate, so it's a floating heel, um, 30 second hold minimum either side. If they can do more, we, we kind of periodize that and go up to anywhere up to 45, 60 seconds in that position. Um, and then if we were looking at a kind of a PAP method, if, if let's say they're doing, uh, let's say a rear full elevated split squat, we might do kind of an activation so we do a pap isometric for that in that position holding it for about five seconds three sets and then they go into the exercise so again i think maybe years ago i'd have had loads of mobility stuff in way too much mobility stuff 
about 30 minutes of mobility stuff before they ever started. It was just crazy. Like so now we do we do ISOs and plyos. We do the the um, we do the kind of activation, so CNS activation or local muscular activation, and then we would do um, the main lift, and then as part of the rest, we might put in dynamic movement exercises, so to make sure that they're getting that two or three minutes that they need. Uh, like I said, with BlackRock and Blarney, at the start of the year, you're kind of in the gym more than you are on the pitch, so we use VBT, and then. Um, once you get onto the pitch and the hurling sessions and the, the clubs free up their pitches to be allowed to be trained on, uh, you kind of obviously the, the gym becomes more of the kind of secondary thing that the lads do the gym in their own time. So we'll take out certain exercises that maybe erring on the side of caution. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily put in uh, like three sets of 10 on a back squat in season or anything like that. Cause I think lads will get adventurous and something bad could happen. So we'll put in hex bar deadlift or something like that might put in deficit hex bar deadlifts and uh, uh, go from there. Um, just, we've touched on it before, but just will you say what VBT is there for anyone? Sorry, uh, velocity-based training, yeah. So we, we'd, um, I'm lucky enough that I have three boxes, so three linear transducers, you put them onto the bar. And again, it comes back to that subjective-objective thing that if I tell you I want you to bench three sets of five with two reps in reserve, um that could be different on any given day. So I definitely say reps and reserve is better than um, percentages, percentage R RMs, and then VBT is better than reps and reserve. So basically they have a target that they, def they hit, they have to move the bar at a certain speed. If, if, if it's too fast, they need to put more weight on it. If it's too slow, they need to take the weight off. Um, so they have that target again. That's, again, you take away the onus from the player or athlete to put a certain weight on the bar that they might just decide they're feeling brave today. Not, so are you using Tendo or Gym Aware? Or are they? So we're using Speed for Lifts. Now Speed, Speed for Lifts have become Vitruve. Their software is very good. Um, so I can do I can do a full um, kind of force velocity profile off their software. So it'll tell me what their one rep max is, and we only have to go to about 70, 75% or one rep max. It'll spit back what their one rep max is that day based on the speed they moved that particular weight at. And then you can kind of, that'll prescribe the session then. Um, but it's very handy. I know it's not cheap, but it's and how much the gym wears out. They're not cheap, but the speed for lifts are about 400. Um, but that's not so, bad at all. No, they're not too bad compared to like, like Tendo's gym wear. Like yeah, that. you're talking upwards in the two or three grands or whatever. There, um, I really like the software and I, I like the units too. They're very reliable. And you said you don't do much mobility anymore. Is that, this is a leading question, but is that because you don't think players need to be as flexible anymore or have you found better ways of building that type of mobility? Um, I, I think it comes down to, again, it, we train through a full range of motion off-season and pre-season uh, in the gym to promote mobility. So if if a fella, like, like the research is it's sketchy at best from what I've seen is that if you improve range of motion, so let's say we do loads of stretching. So what I found is lads who get hamstring injuries always stretch hamstrings and they still get hamstring injuries because just because you're pulling the hamstring into a new range of motion doesn't mean it's getting stronger in that range of motion. So if I put in like an RDL or I put in a Nordic or I put in a staggered RDL, that is a mobility exercise if it's done through a full range of motion. You know, that's kind of, especially through the eccentric range, we are increasing mobility. Um, so I'd kind of look at the particular exercise being done right to a full range of motion is a mobility exercise. Whereas if I put in um, what I used to do is when I was, even when I was doing Olympic lifting and I was 
below average as a even below that as an Olympic lifter, I used to do fractions of mobility work, and and for no reason like. But I don't think it was the mobility work that managed that I could get into deep squat. It was the fact that I did loads of deep squats that got me into deep squat. Um, so again, it's about looking at the time, saying, okay, most lads aren't going to tell you they have an hour and a half to spend in the gym. They're going to tell you, oh, you have 40 minutes, Steve. So I'm not going to have you doing 20 minutes of mobility for that. Like, so I look at the big rocks, say, I know ISOs work, I know plyos work, I know strength training works. Um, and I know I needed to give you a rest about two or three minutes at some stage during those exercises. So if you want to put in these extra mobility exercises, we'll throw them in there. And um, I'm definitely not saying mobility is important. I think it is important. I'm just saying that stretching as part of a mobility session, I don't value as much as I used to. I just think we need to train through a full range of motion. Instead. The means to achieving that mobility can exactly, be done in yeah. a more kind of efficient way than just holding the stretches. Like an awful lot of tightness comes from it, it's a safety mechanism because your muscle does not feel safe going to that range of motion or that point under load, so it tightens up to stop you from getting there. So by getting yeah. stronger through that range, that automatically increased mobility. Yeah, and, and like I mean, we did to the start of preseason. We did Nordics. Uh, we did Nordics and reverse Nordics as part of. Um, just that was the, that was our cool down like and people would say you're doing strength work part of your cool down is that well looking at the papers like they did people used to do nordics at the start of sessions but it was then decrease speed so people said okay that's great nobody got hamstring injuries but that was the safety mechanism they took away the strength and power that the hamstring was able to produce so then they couldn't go as fast so that was the safety mechanism that the hamstring wouldn't go so i said oh, no, i don't really want that so we put nordics at the end but then even saying that, like, you know, Keith Byrne, I was talking that his theory that Nordics, um, it's great, hamstring injuries are down, but ACLs are up. And he reckons that co-contraction between hamstrings and quads is is getting affected. And somebody's, somebody celebrating low hamstring injuries, but still getting two or three ACLs <laughs> is not a cause for celebration, you know. So, again, it just raises loads of questions more than answers, unfortunately. Mm. Just while we're on cooldowns there, are you doing much, you know, static stretches, 30-second holds there at the end? Have you found a smarter um, way to do that? Are you even, it's something I'm tying with an awful lot lately, is is a cooldown actually, bar after a game when you want to have a debrief, is a cooldown really physiologically worth it? It's a great question. If any of my players are listening, they'll have me shot now. But uh, I think a cooldown is, I think it's, it's not as important as it's made out to be, unless you're doing maybe double sessions in the day. Um, I think it's also a part of a training session that a player has to warm up and he has to cool down. So certain things I do in warm-ups and cool-downs because I know the players expect that. And if it's not done, why do you know, they just think mm. it just messes with their mind a bit. Well, we didn't do any stretches. We have to do stretches. And then you could have an argument with the player saying, well, tell me what stretches do. And they won't be able to tell you, but it's just a part of training. You know, it's been a part of training for our last whatever whatever age you're talking to the player at, if it's a 25, maybe he's been doing it for the last 15, 18 years, whatever it is. So we just do it like, do I think it's, I don't think it's as important as people make it out to be. I think the muscle will go back to a full range of motion without you needing to stretch it. Um, lactate doesn't stay in the muscle. We know that. Um, if you wanted to clear lactate, maybe the end got him used to um, kind of lactate shuttle and stuff like that. There's an argument for it. Well, I'm not sure, um, but stretching as part of a cool down, I do it, but I don't place as much value in it as maybe the players do, if I'm honest, and hopefully none of them are listening. 
<laughs> like the players run the cooldown as such. Uh, like, uh, and I'm strict with the way they run it. But if I thought it was very important, I wouldn't have them run it. Would be the simplest answer, I suppose. And then just on to like we've kind of identified a few of the big rocks. What are what's some stuff you kind of see being done or or an overemphasis on? Like we discussed there that that six week block of hit, and oftentimes you're doing it to try and justify yourself being there to the manager or to the chairman who who signs the yeah, check. Yeah, like oh, you know, I I approved the wrong K times. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, because like, it is you do have to balance like giving yourself worth to to those who aren't as in the know of like how it all works. But are the things that maybe aren't as effective or like if you had loads of time yeah i mean if i don't that's the first thing that's gone no like i think uh, and i talked to uh, talked to barry about this barry o'brien iconic like i think if you get when we we did a fitness test with <clears throat> black rock and blarney we do the 30 15 ift so we did a fitness test and the, the players were informed that if they hit a certain number in the, the ift i'm happy they don't have to do any extra running because if a player is full back or full forward how fit does he really need to be to play that position and let's say some of the freaks that were involved with black rock and blarney were getting 20.5 21.5 and they're going i could sit down and say oh getting this fella fitter is going to make a much better player but that's not true because if you have somebody at that level of fitness which is more than acceptable to play into county level um by pushing him further you're exposing him to more risk of injury because he's now got to push harder. He's already at a high fitness level. So what's the merit in saying, get fitter? Get every, every, all the answers seem to be, get the players fitter. And you say, well, he's as fit as he needs to be. All we need to do is maintain that fitness. Um, obviously working on speed and explosivity and, and strength and stuff like that. But in terms of running, running the legs off, lads, as a justification to get a fellow who's already fit up to another level, um, I'm not so mad about that. So if I... I think when people go in, they put way too much emphasis in that side of things, saying everyone needs to get fitter. And I think uh, probably something we talked about off air as well was having that idea that conditioning is one block and the hurling session is another block is also false because hurling is conditioning. That's what it is. You, you can't play hurling without needing some level of conditioning. So the drills that the coaches may be doing or the small side of games they may be doing is still a conditioning emphasis. Um, and I think that needs to be acknowledged by the SNC and say, well, look, that's a, that's, that's a very good drill. It's actually quite high intense. It's doing everything I needed to do. Um, so I don't need to do this other stuff. This idea that lads would start off or end a session with loads and loads of running, um, I think is a bad road to go down. I think it's something I definitely did at the start because uh, I'm a strength and conditioning coach, I have to improve everybody's conditioning. Um, whereas in a lot of ways, uh, I should have just sat back and said, Do you know what, he's as fit as he needs to be for that position that he's going to be playing in. And even if he gets put in, if he's a full forward, he gets thrown into the half forward line or wherever he's going, he's still fit enough. I don't need to run him that much. I just need to maintain that fitness. And we know maintaining fitness is a lot easier than improving fitness. Um, so that would be my probably thing to do like that I would say this fella's fit he doesn't need to do as much as everybody else you know and kind of pull them from the sessions because again you'd look, I, I would look at the data look at the CMJ look at the heart rate monitoring and say he's not normally in red this long lads we need to pull him um, so you might pull him from the session then and, and he might sit on the bench next to you and tell you yeah I don't feel good Steve I, 
didn't eat much today and I didn't sleep well last night. So you should have told me that before we started, but, uh, you know, because we've done the markers, the markers are saying that anyway, so the lads know what the story is, you know. And have you much experience with GPS? You, you mentioned you're using it with the miners once or twice. Is it something that, like, either, if, if you had more access, you'd be like, oh, yeah, great, or do you feel like cost-to-benefit ratio, not sure yeah. it's worth it? Uh, cost-to-benefit, I wouldn't say it was worth it, no. I mean, I'd always liken it to, it's probably controversial, but um, I'm old enough now not to care, to be honest. Uh, I think, like, you had, let's say, if we bring it back to, let's say we did a one max test on a bench and you get 100 kg, on a Monday, on the second week in December, third week in December, or whatever week we're in, I said, so that, that 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 was one marker. So if you sit down with a player and you tell him he needs to cover fifteen hundred meters and five hundred meters of high intensity, or sorry, fifteen hundred at high intensity and five hundred of very high intensity, if again the program goes ahead in spite of the player, it's no wonder they're going to get injured. You know, it's like saying to a fella, okay, you did hundred kg there, so you're going to do hundred kg, hundred and ten kg in two weeks. He may or may not be ready for that. So I like the idea a bit better with like we use like trimp with the heavy monitoring. Like so it would look at exposure in the red and the iron zones and say he's uh, like I have data with BlackRock this year that showed that eighth of the lads that spend most of the time with high eye trim scores were getting some kind of niggles. You know, it wasn't detrimental. We didn't have many soft tissue injuries this year, luckily. Um, so we would have pulled them early from the session, said, you know what, they're too much they're too high in the red and they're too high in the orange the gps wouldn't have told me that like the gps would have told me when he broke down because the gps would have stopped but i have i have gps units myself but i don't like i only have two or three and i wouldn't see them as the be all and end all i, I put them on um not as a not as a way to to kind of prescribe the session i'd look at it away and monitoring the session say okay you covered 1200 meters for this session We'll see him again for the next session, see how he goes. I wouldn't necessarily say to the player, you have to cover 1,500 metres today. Um, and again, it comes down to, even if you try to replicate it and you'd see lads doing top-ups at the end of matches and stuff, is it the same thing? I'm not sure. The XL and D-cell specifically is is not going to be the same when lads are doing straight-line running. So it's it's very expensive monitoring too. It can be hard to sometimes as well explain what you're looking for from gps to a manager that like sometimes you know you do your report after a game and you, i think you put up distance coverage because everyone wants to see it anyway yeah, and yeah. one lad who might have gotten four touches of the ball his man took him for one four but he covered like 11k and where's like <laughs> well done damien who game there yeah. you're like were you watching the game at all or he just looking at <laughs> yeah. like this is covered i didn't concede one four at all more if you can you can jog on <laughs> but it's funny because we we looked at Again, talking about Shane Malone's work where he looked at the small-sided games and the, the 4v4s. When I'm programming for the small-sided games or large-sided games, people forget that there's a lot of acceleration and deceleration in small-sided games. And they may be a great conditioning tool, but it's tough on the body. Like to lads, Whereas if you do a large-sided game, obviously we don't have as much excel decel. Um, we've more expo- exposure to top-end speed, but that all has to be t- and that's all looking at the session again and saying well this has been covered in that i'm not gonna i'm not gonna do like mad runs after this or before this because um you have to acknowledge again what's actually going to happen regardless of what you put into the program the manager more often than not isn't thinking those numbers at all like you're just saying right steve does his thing there for 20 minutes and then i'll do my thing for an hour and 20 minutes and you're there going 
this could get messy pretty fast, lads. So you kind of you kind of gauge what the coach wants to do and say, okay, well, tell you what, put the cone out ten meters further, or put this over here, or make the square yeah, a bit bigger, and I'll I'll tell you how many sets and how many minutes that you go for, and, and we'll go from there. Um, so everyone's half happy anyway. <clears throat> Yeah, now that's a big thing working in with coaches in, in that regard. Like most of my work now is is in rugby, and it's it's similar thing. It like I I I've spent the last year and a half the club I'm in uh just cons- consistently saying, I want the ball in the lads' hands. If if we're just running and the ball isn't going through their hands, then you know we're we're not going anywhere. And coaches are like whoa, all right, okay, well this is what I was hoping to do, and you just make small changes, and you can get a lot more more out of it but they I, I do find that um that coaches who are specific to the sport uh without any S and C background or even not like not necessarily in education but just experience with it or or maybe have had experience with maybe poor coaches or something and they're kind of blown away by like, whoa, okay, right. All right, so you want us playing the game. It's it's a big shock to some. Yeah, some some actually get threatened by us. I've had that too. Like, say, no, no, you're the conditioning coach. You don't have anything to do with the game. You're going, well, that's not going to work. You're not allowed to touch the footballs. They <laughs> yeah. stay in the bag until yeah. I blow the whistle. Um, Come on, after that. But as well as like you and people as well, when you take away the the game, like uh, I'm working with um, uh, a former inter county player at the moment, and like she was there going. Should I should I keep hurling? Like should I keep doing the alley? I said, yeah. I said, do you realize how technical and how fast hurling is? I said, if you give that up for three months, when you get back, you'll be in great condition, but you won't be able to hurl. Like so, what's the point in that? So it's always about yeah. Don't forget, don't forget why you're here. You know. Um, Sometimes that can be a limiter on small city games. The skill level of players, and I find it more so in hurling than nothing else, just because there are more skills. Um, yeah bringing me hurling bias into it again hurling is way more skilled than everything else but uh like a lack of skill can have so many games breaking down and the intensity drops because of that just because balls keep dropping they're not capable of giving all the passes that are required that you do have to factor in times as well yeah i think that that's a great point because we again going back to the club scenario where you have a fellow who wants to be in the inter-county setup and you have a fellow who just enjoys being with the lads um with this season of learning blackrock we main conditioning protocols I suppose would have been either backspin forwards or full games because it was it was position specific it was um you didn't have a, a full back thinking he was a full forward at any stage really you know he, you know if you had to bring in maybe 4v4 and there was a goal on one end and a goal on the other lads get really frustrated that they don't have the skill level and it's not expect that those skill levels aren't really expected in in the full game in the club game that they have to play but it's expected in training and then you know you just kind of have to you, you, I, I, where possible anyway i mean every so often you'd switch lads just for for um just to switch things up a bit like but for the main you'd, you'd keep players in their positions because nine times out of ten they're not going to move too much from that position so let's get it let's get them exposed to let's get the, the starting forwards being marked by the starting uh backs and and um maybe switch lads out every so often if you think maybe um you know maybe if you have a, a forward who's who's not as good as the forward that's in there but you you might bring him in when the when the back gets tired just to keep the back um keep getting him challenged really i suppose um, but it's all again looking at the game and saying yeah, i suppose a big thing as i said already it, the conditioning happens it, 
because of the player. It's not in spite of him. Like you can't just say, "Oh, we're going to come up with this drill and all the rest of it." As I said, mm-hmm. I'd take out more things than I put in, if I'm honest. But um, mm-hmm. it's just the way. That's just the way I see it. Anyway, the way it works for me. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, Shane or Damien, if you have anything else you want to touch on there, because I'm conscious we're after taking over an hour now of Stephen's time. No, I'm good. That's been fantastic. Is <laughs> Le- leaving you run with uh, with things yourself is yeah. Um, oh, that, that's who it was perfect Stephen Stephen where can people find you there if they want to find out anymore because I know like on Instagram and stuff you put up kind of polls on your story and stuff and you, it's an interesting way of doing education it's it's good like I, I really enjoy you know ask people a question so they're more kind of invested in finding out the answer and stuff then yeah it, like I suppose my main protocol my website's Casey Performance Daddy and um, if people want to get on there I'm on Twitter uh, Stephen Casey but I suppose Instagram is the way people mostly get on to me just at Casey Performance I do put up the polls every so often. A lot of lads get a kick out of them. Some of the answers are controversial, but I don't get many arguments, unfortunately. I'm still waiting that. But uh, yeah, I, I put them up every so often because I try to put up questions that force people to think rather than putting up easy questions, I guess. You're like, you're like the Irish version of Bill Campbell with his uh, questions. That he puts up. <laughs> yeah, he's something else, isn't he? That's what yeah, I should have really done. started putting them up on my posts, not on my stories, but we live and we learn. Just start tagging him and them all now, yeah. spam him completely. <laughs> he's got a good, he's got a good uh, set up there. Though, the way he's done it, in fairness to him. No, that's lovely, Stephen. Hopefully, now another year when you're you're after bringing Blackrock to in a row, or, or when in, in two years time when Blackrock and Blarney are playing the senior county final, you're trying yeah, to balance yeah. SSC on both sides. We'll have you on to discuss that. <laughs> we'll have a, a moral a moral argument in my head then about that. <laughs> lovely. Right, thanks, thanks very much, Stephen, and see, and here are you will hear us hopefully next week.